Welcome to Lectionary Mixtape. I'm your co-host, Daniel Eisenberg. And I'm your co-host, Ben Siebert. Each week we take a look at the texts, we talk about those texts, and we offer up a special musical track related to those texts. This week we're talking about choices that are very difficult and almost impossible. We're talking about uh, the tension between spirit and humanity. And we're talking about the incredible weight and expectation of the perfection we find in the kingdom of God. The text for this week for the sixth Sunday after Epiphany come from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. first reading comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, Then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray and bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land that the Lord... So it sounds to me like this passage is in danger of leaning into some works righteousness interpretations oh oh really where do you see that yeah just everywhere <laughs> every word um and i get that and there are parts of scripture i think where god says look i am giving you a consequence i am actively prescriptively this is the thing that will happen if you don't do this or if you do do that But to me, this passage sounds very descriptive, and I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. a cop-out or not, but it sounds like if you don't follow my commandments, if you follow after other gods, the consequence is going to be bad. It's just, it's not going to lead to life. Um, And I find that, I find that especially if you go back a chapter to chapter 27, and you get a list of uh, curses or things that um, for bad behaviors and practices um, 
making mm. so 27 verses 15 to 26 making idols is 15 16 is dishonoring father and mother 17 is moving a neighbor's boundary marker so stealing someone's land 18 uh, misleading a blind person on the road 19 uh, depriving the alien the orphan the widow of justice 20 uh, yeah and you can just kind of go down from there um, and it's like, no, your society is going to fall apart if you do this. And this is wrong uh, start to finish. And that might be a good going back a few chapters to see context of what exactly these curses arise from. Yeah. I think that. How do I say this? I'm not sure this is works righteousness as in we save ourselves by doing these things. I think these are expectations because we're not in charge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think we live in a society that is very uncomfortable with, I mean, a religious text telling us what to do with a God telling us what to do with anybody outside of our own selves and our own minds telling us what to do. If I don't assent to somebody else's thought, I am free to dis disregard it mm-hmm. is what I hear in this society most of the time. And and that's not quite the place where these where this text comes from. And I'm not sure that's quite the place where our relationship with God comes from. Yeah. And And I think some of the misunderstanding in relation to that is I think some of the the opposition to I'm not going to listen or I'm not going to uh, hold in regard what a religious text tells me what to do or not to do, I think comes from this idea, at least in part, that the laws that are in scripture are sort of arbitrary benchmarks, like sort of a test, see if you can clear the hurdle and if you can make it you get into heaven you know see how high the tally is against you and for you when really the idea of the the law is that these are things given to us for our benefit for the benefit of the world um caring for widows and orphans and strangers and um not lying and stealing and all of these things like it's not just god's gonna see if we can give in to that temptation and unfortunately i think that's what we reduce it down to which is to say nothing also of anti-semitic anti-jewish interpretations of this to say that ah judaism was devoid of grace because it was all based on the law no the law is a gift the law is grace Uh, we don't always fulfill it and oftentimes don't but it was given for our benefit it's a gift I, yep, I believe that uh, most of the time. (laughs) And I believe that originally it it was given as a gift. I also believe that there's parts of this law that we no longer follow um, by the will of God. I don't believe that it's just kind of willy-nilly, nor is it just things that we choose. I believe that when God says we're no longer following this particular piece, then we don't follow it anymore. Mm Um. Yeah, when I'm teaching the law and teaching biblical interpretation, I use apples to apples, apples to oranges, and apples to rocks. Like, 
when we're reading scripture, is this a clear apples to apples kind of application? Like we're in the same context or similar enough and we can go from A to B real easy? Is it apples and oranges where we have to take the spirit of the law or the spirit of the commandment and try and figure out how to translate it? Or is this a apples and rocks? Like we're just so far removed from that context and that time that it just doesn't it's not applicable today. It's not applicable in all places and all times. Mm-hmm. When it comes to um, to some of these laws, they've been used to, they've been kept to harm others. Um, and so that comparison, apples to apples, apples to oranges, apples to rocks, is a, is a useful way to travel through. But I also understand why people close their ears and their hearts off towards pieces of the scripture is because we've used it as a weapon before. Mm -hmm. And when I say we, I mean, you know, organized Christianity um, has over the course of time used this to hurt their own and others. And that makes it really, really difficult, I think, to hear gift and blessing in the midst of this. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe that can be part of, I don't know, maybe this is too much of a macro sermon or something or meta sermon, but to talk about how do we view these laws and to admit that some of these laws uh, in relation in particular, I'm thinking of uh, to women and LGBTQ persons that we have interpreted them in ways that were harmful and hateful. And so getting to the point of the law, I think, helps as well. Um, it is to share God's love. It is to make the world a better place. It's to promote life. And when it's not, we have to evaluate what we're doing. We have to question what we're doing in the first place. I think sometimes it's helpful to lift up moments of these laws that we have found blessing in as a society or mm -hmm. as part of a society as well as the damaging ones and mm -hmm. so you know in Deuteronomy 19 we have this idea of the cities of refuge um, and how how there are literal towns of mercy like literal towns um, where people who have sinned and sinned greatly um, are able to run to and are able to find shelter in um I think that, I mean, I find a direct relation between that and sanctuary cities um, that we have throughout uh, the world. Um, not that uh, the people seeking those are have done something terrible, but uh, but this idea that a municipality is for more than just governance; it's for shelter mm -hmm. and for safety. Yeah, I like that. Should we jump over to Corinthians? Yeah, I think the two are going to mix really well. Yeah, let's do it. Our second reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now you're still not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? 
For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants, working together, you are God's field, God's building. I like and I both like and struggle with this idea that the things we are reading in Paul and Corinthians, if not Paul throughout, um, is the milk portion and not the solid food portion of our lives of faith. Mm -hmm. Because it seems weighty enough, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I I don't know. I hear it as, um, what are the essentials here? And remembering that we belong to Christ and that that identity supersedes any other identity, who your teacher is and who you are and all of that. I think that that's a good thing. It is challenging because it's something we continually struggle with. Like I feel like I have to, for me and for the people I serve, to keep going back to the milk. (laughs) Um, So... Yeah, I'm not sure what to do with that. Yeah. Well, and what I like about Paul here, especially when we hear it so quick together between Deuteronomy and 1 Corinthians um, in the lectionary, is this admittance that we struggle with these very expectations of God for us. Mm-hmm. Like we struggle being spiritual people um, in this world and we struggle with the concepts that are being thrown at us um, and, and we kick back at a lot of them. We kick back at limitless grace and limitless mercy and the idea that limitless justice happens there too. Um, we kick back hard and at the very least Paul is willing to admit it and say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be a comfort. I mean, I like that line, uh, or line, verse four. Um, when one of you says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? Um, which is not, I don't believe, a way to undercut us, but a way to say, this is a part of who we are. This struggle, this strife, and this, at times, pettiness, like, it's in us. It's a part of us right now. Yeah, and I think that that can be a... I don't know, almost a don't sell your short self short message too. Like Mm -hmm. you're not just human. Like you are part of something greater than your own human derived identities. You are a part of Christ. And I think that could be a good go get him tiger kind of sermon. Yeah. And we're caught between the two, right? Verse four is an identification of who we are. And verse nine is an identification of who we are. And Paul Mm -hmm. says them both. Yeah. We are God's servants working together for you are God's field, God's building. And we're also merely human. Hmm. I wonder what it feels like to be a field that doesn't know how to grow Hmm. or to be a building that doesn't know how to shelter. So what are some of the ways 
contemporarily that we sell ourselves short and think of ourselves only as you know, the proverbial equivalent of I belong to Apollos, I belong to Paul. Hmm. I think congregationally, um, I see at least where I am um, in, uh, in Adams County, a lot of congregational fixed identity where, where it's often, congregational life is often seen as an, in, an internal affair with little to do with the community around us out of respect and politeness for who the rest of the community is. Hmm. And so I think sometimes we've divided, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, and I belong to the congregation or I belong to the borough, you know? Mm-hmm. Not seeing how the two can and are required to interact. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And there could be an opportunity to lift up the ways that congregations are cooperating, co- cooperating more than they may have in the past, mm-hmm. uh, or denominationally. Um, I know even just things like putting together confirmation classes and youth groups, because a lot of it's usually out of necessity. Like we don't have enough kids to do this on our own, or we don't have enough teachers, but how to see that as a blessing that, you know, we don't belong to St. James Lutheran church or Holy Trinity Lutheran church that we belong to Christ. That's supersedes Mm. that identity. And in this mission, we've discerned a call to do vacation Bible school together, to open a food pantry together, to do a census calling day together or whatever it is. Yeah. And I agree with you. Um, And in fact, I see a lot of that where I am currently as well, Mm -hmm. Um, that cooperative um, nature I believe that some of these divisions, some of these falling apart, happen when we fail to lift up our moral and religious voice, or our moral and faithful voice in the civic world. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, I'm just, I'm starting to wonder where this insistence on grace and mercy and justice um, lies when we're anywhere but inside the programs of the congregation. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we can become so focused in our own inner workings that we don't see what God could be calling us to outside of ourselves. So insistent that I belong to St. John's that we don't see where God could be calling us outside of those physical or metaphorical walls that we put up. Yeah. And when we, when we make the division between the people that we are inside the congregation and the people that we are outside the congregation, mm-hmm. um, I feel that Paul and Apollos type of division where I don't believe the two were ever meant to be separated. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know that we were ever meant to have like private identities as church folk and public identities as quote unquote normal individuals. Hmm. Should we jump to the gospel? Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, The gospel for this week comes from Matthew 5, verses 21 through 37. 
You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So, when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to the court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for you, to, your, than for you your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. I have a couple things. Like... The one that I think will pop out in people's mind mostly will be the one about divorce. Uh, at least that's been my experience. Um, mm -hmm. Did Jesus really say that divorce is a sin? Hard, full stop. Um, and there's a couple things to talk about. I think there's the debate that Jesus gets in the middle of here at the time about what are appropriate grounds for divorce and um, can a man, and it's also written for a man to divorce his wife because that's the only context in which a divorce could be initiated here. Um, and whether it was okay to dismiss your wife for any reason or whether you um, could only do it for unchastity as Jesus takes up that position, it seems. Uh, and that this is about protecting the woman uh, because in that society, if you are left on your own without a male uh, protector slash provider, then you didn't have a lot of options to make life. And so this is Jesus's way of preventing willy-nilly divorces because the guy didn't like her anymore, found somebody else he was more interested, etc. Um, that's one way to approach it, I guess. And that could be, and that's the thing too, is like, there's a lot of good stuff here. So how do you talk about the other things? And maybe that could be a, an entry point into talking about how 
um, again, these laws Jesus is doing, that he's this amping up of the law even, that it is for our benefit, that it would be good if we could settle our disputes without bringing them to court. And it would be good if we didn't divorce one another willy-nilly. And it would be good if we could um, not have anger in our hearts toward our siblings, etc. Mm-hmm. The first, the first two examples uh, that Jesus gives, you know, uh, the connection between murder and anger and insults and stuff like that, as well as, you know, coming to terms with your accuser before you come to come into prison. Those, while common, are also given an opportunity for re- reconciliation in the words of Jesus, you know? Mm-hmm. It's this, this moment of like, yeah, we know you get angry, so seek forgiveness and you we know you have um justice issues against one another seek reconciliation but then in the issues of adultery and of divorce and of uh, swearing oaths there doesn't seem to be that same opportunity for reconciliation Hmm. and i think that's why these last three catch our ear more than the first two because the first two look like the whole picture that we're used to. We're used to saying people get angry, but you have to make up with one another, you know, Mm -hmm. or it's good to seek forgiveness with one another. These last three look so harsh. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Last time uh, this came up in the lectionary, um, I, uh, (laughs) I preached on uh, 29 and 30. Mm-hmm. Um, and ask people to consider it. Not the actual action. I wasn't sending them home to go do this, just this. But this uh, tearing out our eyes or cutting off our um, hand. I asked them to consider these actions and see if they would have any impact on whether or not we continued to do these things. Hmm. And my understanding is no. No, there's no amount of hands we can cut off to get us to stop hurting one another. There's no amount of eyes we can tear out to stop with lust and to stop with um, breaking of promises. There's no, there's nothing we can tear apart our bodies to get this to end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm kind of of two minds about it, like. I've heard this interpreted as Jesus is just doing what Lutherans call the second use of the law, like causing us to despair at how bad we are at keeping the law. But at the same time, I think that Jesus would like us to do these things, Hmm. but we also fail. And like, like God would want us if we've got a part of our lives that is holding us back from living into the kingdom of God and loving our neighbor and striving for justice and choosing life, if we want to use the Deuteronomy language, then yes, cut it out of your life, toss it into the fire, what, what have you. But either we're not willing to make the sacrifice or uh, like you're saying, and like you um, preached when this came up before, we 
it wouldn't matter. Like we'd still find a way to do it. We'd find a way to do it with one eye or with one hand. Um, and so, I don't know, I could see this being a way of acknowledging all of that, that this is worth striving for, and also that we need grace and forgiveness and a new start every day. Yeah. I, I think in these commands, we see both our actual expectation. Like, I, I, I don't think it's good to say that Jesus is using hyperbole here to get us scared straight or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really do think that these are expectations. Um, and if and if people want to argue with me on the divorce one, like I can see how divorce has changed over the course of time and we've come to understand marriage differently over the course of time. Um, but I think what is what happens with each one of these expectations is there's something behind the actions that are being prescribed. So I think for divorce today, maybe good words would be honor the promises you make. Mm-hmm. Anything less comes from the evil one. Yeah. You know? And I think it's okay to <clears throat> take another step and even just say, like, look, I think if you came to Jesus face to face and said that I'm considering divorcing my husband because he is abusive, because he is neglectful, because he's awful, because he's these types of things that I think are in people's minds, like, when you initially read it, you go, oh my gosh, Jesus says only for unchastity. And, you know, my spouse has been a lot of things, but not that. I think Jesus would say, like, yes, <laughs> the way to choose life in this case is to get out of that awful relationship. Um, again, I think it's looking at what the point of the law is as opposed to just fulfilling it for its own sake and treating it like it's a a hurdle or a limbo bar or what have you. Yeah. It's for the safety. These promises and this covenant of marriage is for the safety and good of both people within. I don't, I don't quite follow in your footsteps um, with the second use of the law. I... I think I get where Lutherans say, you know, this is this is condemning us and the weight of these things is, you know, what turns us towards the gospel, blah, 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 blah. But I think sometimes that Lutheran understanding keeps us from hearing these things as things we actually need to strive to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It becomes an excuse. Well, we can't do it anyway, so I'm just going to skip that step and place my trust in God. Which is good, but <laughs> God also wants us to live into this abundant life. Yeah. This really does feel, um, uh, and I, I think we get this next week. Let me look forward. Yep. Uh, this really feels like it's culminating into verse 48 of the same chapter, which we will get to next week. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Um, the things that we're striving for, just like Paul points out, and just like De- Deuteronomy points out, are things that aren't like us. 
mm-hmm. it's going to be really, really tough to be different than who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but, connection to First Corinthians about um, yeah. being of the flesh and baby food versus big people food. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole nother world. But I would say that the attempt is not fruitless, nor is it a simple masochistic <laughs> like moment. Mm-hmm. I think there's beauty. There's absolute beauty when flawed people want perfection not for themselves, but to give it into the world. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben... That reminds me of the song. Nice. Well, I have chosen for my mixtape the song To Life, which is performed by the Fiddler on the Roof cast. And... I chose it, obviously, first and foremost, from that Deuteronomy reading about this uh, option to choose life. Um, But I like that it's also a celebration, that it's something um, that is joyous and something that you can share with others, that scene with uh, Reb Tevia and Laser Wolf, uh, that they're enjoying one another's company. And that's what it is, that there's a purpose to choosing life. It's in celebration, enjoyment, sharing love, uh, and all of that. So that's why I went with So Life. Nice. God would like us to be joyful, even when our hearts lie panting on the floor. How much more can we be joyful when there's really something to be joyful for? To life! To life! To title my daughter, my wife. It gives you something to think about. Something. I went. um, I went a little off the board with uh, "Zombie" by the Cranberries, and I didn't really think I would. I, I thought I would pick this song at some point. I'm a little surprised that it's here, but I do feel like the, the lyrics tie in pretty well. Um, and kind of the lead up to each chorus, um, the singer sings, but you see, it's not me. It's not my family in your head, in your head, they are fighting with their tanks and their bombs and their bombs and their guns in your head, in your head, they are crying. Hmm. And I think I think that the incredible tension we have between what the world expects of us and what we hear inside of ourselves, and I'd say the third point is also inside of ourselves, that still small voice of God, um, can create a tremendous amount of tension where at times we are left paralyzed um, between all three. And I think... I think the song gets at that angst uh, pretty well, but I also think that song calls out what each of those voices might be saying pretty well.
sort of a tension between flesh and spirit to use Pauline language. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well. Well. I think that's going to do it for us over here at Lectionary Mixtape. Thank you for joining in. And we will see you for next week as we take a look at, what are we up to? That would be Transfiguration, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, Transfiguration. Wow. I better get my laundry done. <laughs> right. Get that bleach. Yeah. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us, and we will be with you next time. Take care. Bye. Bye.